Good morning. Our second reading is from Romans, chapter 8, verse 25 to 32. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please open our ears, our minds and our hearts to the truth of your living word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Life can feel dangerous. This pandemic has heightened the sense of that for many, but it's always been the case. And it's easy to give way to fear and, and anxiety. But we don't need to. Why? Well, this next section of Paul's letter to the Romans gives us an answer to that. We're looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. And my title this morning is, How We Know We Are Safe for Eternity. These verses make me think of a TV program I watched. It featured a talented young British rock climber. He was in Yosemite National Park in the west of the USA. And he'd gone there to climb some exceptionally difficult routes. We saw him attempting to climb a long slab of overhanging rock at a very great height. He was upside down the whole way, almost as if climbing across a ceiling. If he had anywhere to put his feet at all, they were continually slipping, leaving him hanging by his hands. Sometimes he was just holding on by his fingers. Sometimes he would jam his hand into a crack and swing from it. It was obvious that he was finding the going intensely difficult. His face was often contorted with the effort and the struggle of it all. Things were not going as smoothly as he had hoped. His frustration was frequently boiling over and he would cry out at his failure to make progress. What's more, again and again, he lost his grip altogether and simply fell. But however many times he fell, he knew that he would make it to the end of the climb eventually. His frustrations went hand in hand with great confidence. And it was obvious that he was relishing the whole experience. How come? Two reasons. For one thing, he was on the end of a rope that was firmly held by his climbing companion. And every time he did lose control totally and fell, the rope took his weight and he was hauled back up to try again. And for another thing, when he finally slogged his way to the end of the climb, the views 
were utterly spectacular. All through the climb, he knew that he had those views to look forward to. He knew that he was safe during the climb, however hard he found it, so he was not in any serious danger, and he knew that his destination was worth the effort. Because of his own mistakes and because of the sheer difficulty of the climb, it was a painful struggle, but it was secure and it was exhilarating. What God tells us in the words of the Apostle Paul in this passage make me think of that climber. And I have three points to make from these verses. So first of all, the Christian life is a struggle with sin and suffering. The Apostle Paul has come to the climax of his teaching in these first eight chapters of his letter to the Romans. He's addressing believers, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, who had faith in Jesus Christ as the Saviour and Lord of the world. He's been spelling out how Christ has rescued us from sin and death. And he's been talking about what life is like as a believer. He's made quite clear that the life of faith is a struggle. It's a struggle with sin. So he says in chapter 7, verse 21, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Living by faith involves struggling with sin. And the life of faith is also a struggle with suffering. So earlier in this chapter, in verses 17 to 18, he speaks of how believers are to suffer with Christ. And he talks of the sufferings of this present time. Believers struggle with sin, even though they are no longer enslaved by it, and they struggle with suffering. And it all gives rise to a kind of silent scream in the believer's heart. So, as he puts it in chapter 8, verse 23, we ourselves groan inwardly. But that's not the whole story, because not only do believers groan inside, they also rejoice. Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why the joy? Well, these verses give the reason why rejoicing ultimately overwhelms struggle in the life of the believer. So, secondly, Nothing can get in the way of God's good purpose for those who trust him. Take a look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What is that good purpose God has for us? Answer, glory. That is what's in store. At the end of the line is glory. And what does that mean? It means being like Jesus and being with Jesus. Believers, verse 29, will be conformed to the image of God's Son. We will be changed into the people we were created to be. No more sin that sickens the heart. Just imagine the wonder of that. The sinful nature within us that kicks and claws against all that is pure and holy will be finally and utterly and gloriously destroyed. The character and goodness of Jesus will be ours. We will be like him. 
And that will be so that, verse 29, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's plan is for a massive family of brothers and sisters with Jesus there at the very heart of it. He will be our brother. We will know him and be known by him face to face. And that will be unimaginable glory. That is God's good purpose for those who love him. But can we be sure that what God purposes will become reality? Yes, because what God plans happens. That's the point of verses 28 to 30, verse 28 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things in the end work for the good of the believer. That's not saying that all things are good, of course, very far from it, and God is never the author of evil. But in an astonishing way, God does weave everything into his plan so that the end result is good. That is an astounding truth. We can see it supremely at the cross. The killing of Jesus was the most evil and wicked act that mankind has ever committed. But through it, God redeemed his people. All things don't necessarily work to bring about our plans. They certainly don't always work for our ease and comfort. They can cause us great suffering. But that's exactly why we need this reassurance. Even terrible failures on our part or severe disappointments or great disasters all get caught up in God's great plan to make us like Jesus and to bring us to glory. That's his amazing promise. And when we know that's true, it completely changes the way we view what happens in our lives. So thirdly, God has secured us with his unbreakable chain of salvation. Paul spells out this unbreakable chain of salvation in verses 29 to 30. He says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a famous photograph of one of my boyhood heroes, the brilliant Victorian engineer Isambard Kingdom Brunel. He is standing in front of the chains that were used to launch what was then the biggest ship the world had ever seen, the Great Eastern. They had to be huge chains for an immense task. And they dwarf Brunel. Each massive link interlocks with the next. And they look totally indestructible. Do you see this great, indestructible chain of salvation that Paul describes here? Five massive links forming the chain of salvation. Christians who are fearful for their salvation need to understand this. Our salvation does not depend upon us at all. God has forged the chain and it cannot be broken. The first link in the chain is foreknowledge. Verse 29, for those whom God foreknew. 
he also predestined. Does God's foreknowledge mean simply that God looked ahead and saw who would respond positively to him and decided those were the people he would save? No, because that would turn upside down everything that Paul is saying. It would make our salvation in the end depend upon us. It is far more than that. This is knowing like parents know their children. This is knowing in the sense of choosing to love. Before the creation of the world, God chose his people and set his love upon us. And then the second link in the chain is predestination. Verse 29 again, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God has decided before the creation of the world that his people will be made like Jesus. Children of God with free access to their loving father, destined for the glory of eternal life and heirs of all the riches of God. Predestination is God's unchallengeable determination at any price to save his people who can do nothing to save themselves. So we're not to get hung up on this, as some do. Rather, we're to take great comfort in it. This teaching on predestination is for those of us who know only too well that the Christian life is a struggle. It's for those of us who see the condition of our own hearts and just how very vulnerable we are. It's for those of us who feel the heat of the fire all around us and who need to know that God will bring us through. Then the third link in the chain is God's calling. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. God's calling of people is when his plans for us swing into action and by the work of his Holy Spirit, he breaks the, he causes the gospel to break through our defences and he brings us to faith. In our ignorance, we usually think at first that we became Christians because we were looking for God and we found him and we decided that we would commit our lives to him. But it was not us who found God. It was God who found us. He had our coming to faith planned before the creation of the world and he called us. Does that boggle our minds? Yes, it does and so it should. If we're believers, does that give us the most profound sense of security in Christ? Yes, it does. And so it should. For knowledge, predestination, calling. And then the fourth link in the chain is justification. Verse 30 again, and those whom he called, he also justified. Justification is a word that comes from the law court, from judgment. It is God's announcement now that believers are acquitted of all sin and rebellion. God the judge no longer looks at us sinners and rebels that we are, but he looks at Jesus, who stands in our place as our representative and our substitute. As the apostle says back in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And the result 
is spelled out back at the start of this chapter, chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which brings us to the final link. So the fifth link in the chain is glorification. Back to verse 30. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Steve Donald, in his helpful new book on marriage, discusses the singleness, lifelong singleness, of the influential Bible teacher, preacher and scholar John Stott. At his packed memorial service in St Paul's Cathedral, John Stott's friend and ministry partner for over 50 years, Francis Whitehead, said of him this. The more I observed his life and shared it with him, the more I appreciated the genuineness of his faith in Christ, so evident in his consuming passion for the glory of God and his desire to conform his own life to the will of God. There was somebody who had taken hold of this wonderful promise of God's glory. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification. That is the strong chain of salvation. That is what the fearful Christian needs to know. Do you have faith in Christ? Then know that whatever happens, whatever happens, you are secure with Jesus for all eternity. You are roped to him like that climber was roped to his companion. You will certainly struggle. You may fall again and again, but you will always be safe. So do not fear, keep going and rejoice. He will get you there in the end. And the destination is glorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that through Jesus and with this unbreakable chain of salvation, you have made us safe forever. Thank you, Lord so much for that wonderful truth. Help us by your Spirit to know it in the deepest recesses of our being. Help us to remember it when we're struggling. And strengthen our joy in this wonderful truth, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.